What's the Future 2050 is proudly supported by X-Energy Solar Solutions for Tasmanian conditions, AB Finance, Ethical Mortgages and Unilux Triple Glazed Windows. You're listening to WTF 2050. What's the future? Future. 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 30 years goes like that. I wonder... We've actually shown we can do these sorts of things. Without risk, there is nothing. Hello, this is Leanne Minshall. This is Anna Bateman. And you are listening to WTF 2050, What's the Future? For this episode, Leanne, we were in inner city Melbourne talking to broadcaster, anthropologist, writer, host of the Wheeler Centre's live journalism series, The Fifth Estate, Sally Warhaft. We should probably also say that we actually recorded this in late March. Well, it was a while before the federal election, as becomes evident during the episode. Sally took us straight into her vision of how Australia could be in 2050. There's so many things I'd like to see Australia doing better in 30 years. I suppose in a big overarching way, I'd like to see Australia being the very best it could be in everything, of course, but in a way where we're looked at by the rest of the world as an exemplar. In every way. We are just so blessed and we take advantage of almost none of those blessings. The ones we perhaps do take advantage of, we also take for granted. So as an ideal, I suppose, as a way of how people on earth could live in these times together, Australia is actually in a place where it could do it a bit differently or a lot differently Mm. to the way other parts of the world are doing. I suppose more specifically, if I had to pick a single issue right now, it would be women to actually get it right. I mean, we can talk forever about women's equality and so on, but I think in Australia there's something particular about our gender inequality in mm. Australia. There's something Australian about it that that puts an edge on it uh, that I find, I don't know, more difficult than other places. And Can you give me an example of that? Uh, I don't know if I can give a specific example, but what I can say is that there's a feeling of just the general kind of chauvinistic culture that we have here that I think makes it perhaps more difficult for women here than in other so-called similar Mm. cultures. And I just think we're so slow. And, you know, if you'd asked me two years ago, five years ago, ten years ago, I would have talked about economic inequality or I would have talked about the death penalty in other countries. I would have talked about life and death things as my priority. That's where my advocacy energies, I suppose, have tended towards. But now I just feel, and particularly in Australia, if we can't get this one right, Mm. we're never going to get anything right. Australia is quite good at, I think, self-deception in lots of areas. You know, I feel like, you know, if I hear one more politician talk about Australia being the most successful multicultural nation in the world, I'll just tear my hair out. Mm. Yes, we're good at it. We are good at it. Lots of places are good at it. Yeah. We're not great at it. Where would you say at the moment is doing it right in terms of gender equality? Nowhere. 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 And, Mm. you know, of course, Australia does it better than 
many places. Yeah. Uh, we have a great capacity to idealise other places mm. in all sorts of ways, I think, mm. and whether it's close to home or, or far away from home. How much of this do you think is the woman thing, is it partially the Me Too thing, but it's also about having a daughter? Well, it's um, it's not really... It's partly about the Me Too thing, but I, um, I, I remain really disappointed with the Me Too thing. I mean, Why is that? Well, what's changed? What, what has changed? Harvey Weinstein lost his job. I mean, uh, we still have uh, inequality in incomes. We're still in Australia. Mm. Women don't get as much super. They don't get as much pay. They're still doing, you know, what seventy percent of the household chores. Work. They're doing ninety-five percent of the mental household chores. Yeah. I mean, what has changed? I think it has given voice to something because tipping points are always seen in retrospect. They're never seen ahead of time. And I'll be interested to see in ten years' time if we look back and think, yeah, Me Too was a time where there was because before you're going to get those actual changes, you're going to get changes in the way people think, the stories that we tell and the things that we call out on, you know, all of that. I remember people saying the same thing about Occupy. Remember Occupy, what what did that ever change? Well, before there was Occupy, no one was talking about 1%. No one was talking about tax reform on inequality. So I knew what you're saying. But it hasn't changed. Occupy hasn't changed anything substantial for for the world, for people in the world. Who's it helped, really? Has it helped... Bangladeshis? No. Has it helped? Doesn't mean it's a failure though, because it hasn't helped them. Like well, I'm sort of a bit over the one percent that it helps, you know, and that's what yeah. I mean in terms of relations, you know, gender relations in Australia or everywhere else. That, you know, Me Too has given a voice. So fucking what? If it doesn't change how people live, yeah, how people experience their lives and opportunities. I mean, I have twins, a girl and a boy. They're very young, they're four. Mm. And I can, you know, with gritted teeth deal with the way the gendered, you know, rubbish that's thrown at, you know, Mm. my children since the day they were born. What I can't deal with is looking at them and seeing my intelligent, feisty daughter and thinking, I'd have to put my money at the moment that when you're 20... Mm. you're still going to be paid less and you're still going to be taking on an unfair burden of domestic work and you're still, in 80 years' time, not going to have as much super as your brother. I'm sort of over feeling like I have to have the positive spin on this. Oh, I'm fair enough too. I don't think that any of us have to have a positive spin. But if we are thinking about that change, other than an armed revolution, like what makes me feel positive about it is that it is something that's being said that wasn't being said one year ago. And for me, that's the first step in an arc of change. Do I feel positive that that arc will happen or happen quicker? Nah. But am I still glad that at least something's happened? Yeah. So I guess that's the way I'm looking at it. You know, I saw a postcard, um, prepare your daughter the workforce give her 40% less pocket money than Mm. a brother ha 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 but it's true and that sucks so I'm with you on that completely I mean obviously it's fantastic that women are speaking about their experiences particularly of harassment in the workplace Mm. that is wonderful but 
again, you know, as somebody, my background, my work experience is, you know, my training as an anthropologist, my PhD field work was in India in a slum. Mm. And, you know, of course, this has been discussed at great length about the lack of inclusion of women from so many I mean if you don't have a, an apple phone basically mm. you're not in on this conversation so I don't think there's enough scrutiny of who really has a voice and is involved mm. in this conversation because you know if you're being harassed in a workplace in Bangladesh where you know it's 80% of women making our oppressive designer clothes for us here you know, nobody is doing anything mm. to empower those women to ward off the, the threats and the, the violence that, that they're enduring. Politicians would have it that we're getting there. You know, things are getting better. Mm. You know, things are getting better, isn't that Calm great? down, girls. Yeah, and um, even our own dear leader, Scott Morrison, was it just two weeks ago as he was hauling out the banner for women's rights and what a marvellous idea, as long as, of course, it doesn't interfere with any men's opportunities. He didn't even say men, he just said others. others. Yeah, I, I don't think it's, it's not enough for me. And, you know, I'm very privileged. I am a woman who is in control of my mm. circumstances. You know, I, I've had every good fortune that can bestow a human being in the history of human civilization other than being born a man. Mm. I mean, I don't blame them for not giving it up. It sounds just fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I want a wife and to be paid more and have somebody to organise all the boring stuff with children, get superannuation, promoted more easily, addressed in the room as an equal. I mean, who would want to give that up? Regarded as forceful rather than bossy. I don't think I would give that up. Mm. Mm. WTF 2050 is brought to you by X Energy, solar solutions for Tassie conditions, energy audits, solar design systems and installations. Find out more, xenergy.net.au. You did a fantastic book called Well May They Say. Well May We Say. Well May We Say. And I just wondered, as somebody who's looked closely at the power of speeches in those moments, what's your reflections on Jacinda? So it's the 21st of March today, which is Harmony Day. Christchurch happened nearly a week ago. What's been your kind of reflections on the way she's handled it? She's been a leader, hasn't she? She's been all the things you'd want a leader to be at a time of terrible crisis. Uh, She's been warm and she's brought together her people she's been strong she's done all the right things I mean she's been absolutely faultless and and in being that she has also become a sort of reflection of where leadership is lacking elsewhere Mm. I just think it's very fortunate for New Zealand at this time to have somebody with that toolkit Mm. it's Mm. pretty special yeah I think it's important for the world actually If you've got a particular value set and that value set is imbued with fear and worrying about the other, the only way that you can break through that is actually to have some fairly full-on personal one-on-one therapeutic conversations. I think that she's changed, I might just be optimistic, but I actually think 
that what she's done and how she's shown her leadership has the potential to change some people, not the hardcore One Nation supporters or the alt-right, but those people who are kind of more on the edge of that, who had some of that value system in themselves. I think this could be a moment where I'm all about the moments today, aren't I? But You're very optimistic. I mean, I am really sorry to be the cynical no, one in this. Uh, uh, the, the thing I would compare it to mm. is Barack Obama mm. and his response as president when he cried mm. following the gun massacre mm. of little children. Mm. Uh, no, I've, I've in the thought, church? Yeah, Sandy Hook. Oh, Sandy Hook, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was a, a crime of... Yeah. Mean, you know, you don't even have to say anything, do you, about no. it? And the response, again, a pitch-perfect response yeah. from the leader of the United States, no less, yeah. weeping, yeah. weeping, begging, yeah. begging his Congress to yeah. change the gun laws. Yeah. didn't change. No, but I think it did change popular opinion. Didn't, I think it didn't. did shift. I'm, I'm taking your point, but, Sal, but, like but nothing it didn't happened. Change. Nothing happened. The gun laws didn't change. Exactly. And what popular opinion changed? None. They elected Trump. Well, what changed? The NRA became the NRA didn't lose any more power. But since Sandy Hook, Mm. if you look at the polling around background checks, it's massive. And I hear what you're saying about Congress and the Senate, but I would also argue that, and yes, they elected Trump, but about 36% of America elected Trump. Hillary won the popular vote. The Electoral College is absolutely unrepresentative and undemocratic, as is the Senate. So. I think that there's a difference between there's changing that public opinion and changing that public view and gathering that, and then it's actually up to the lawmakers and those involved in politics to make sure that you change that. Things might be weighted very poorly, as they are in so many United States states. I would have thought in any sane electorate at any time on earth, a country that had had two years of Trump... Mm and had an opportunity to make any kind of official note on that, Mm. it would just be 98, 99% of people. Mm. Mm. Like, it would just be so Mm. bleedingly obvious. Mm. But no, no, about the same, about the same as always. But that also... A little bit towards the Democrats, but pretty much the same. Well, no, that's... Anyway, they... um, I, I think Trump will win next time. Yes, I know you do. I hope you're so wrong. So do I. WTF 2050. Yes, AB Finance. It's an ethical home loan consultancy with an open door policy for those wanting to join the global divestment movement. So you're better at this stuff at me, Leanne. When we're talking ethical investment or ethical mortgage, what do they mean? Well, when you take a mortgage from a bank, you're giving them money when you pay your interest back. And do you want it going to a bank that's propping up the fossil fuel industry? Maybe. If you do, go to one of the big four. If you don't, go to a mortgage broker who can find you a bank that's divested from fossil fuels. abfinance.com.au I think change is very slow and I'm a bit of an optimist as well, but once you've changed some public opinion, then it's up to lawmakers to make bigger changes. What are you optimistic about? 
Well, I think change is slow till it's fast, and I think everything's impossible until it's inevitable. And by that, I mean... Um, I feel like I'm writing slogans for someone's political Well, that was... Nel- Nelson was, it's impossible until it's done. But, um, but by that, I mean, I get pessimistic about looking at being able to make change in a system like America... But I don't think we're going to solve some of our big problems by the current system and I don't know what system's next and I'm not saying we go back to anything in the past like socialism or it's not about that for me. But if you look even through history, every single system that's been in place, whether it was slavery or feudal system or whatever, has changed. And I think our current neoliberalist, capitalist, democratic system is going to change, God knows to what, but that's what I'm optimistic about. I feel like we're in such a pressure cooker that we can't just keep trudging along. I don't think that if it just keeps going, Democrats, Obama, Trump, Hillary, that's not going to get anything. And I was doing a little bit of work in the States in the lead-up to that election, and one of the things that I couldn't believe was how fierce the battle was between the Democrats, the Bernie bros and the Hillary chicks or whatever, and how much they hate, really, they spent fighting each other. And there wasn't really much of a conversation about do we have to have something completely different. So my optimism, I suppose, is almost like a terrified optimism because if we don't make pretty radical changes to lots of our systems, then I think we're totally fucked. Look, I think one of the things that drives this bout of pessimism I'm, you know, sharing with you all today. (laughs) uh, I'm not a pessimistic person, believe it or not. I'm I'm not. I'm quite a a happy person, really. Like, I fully believe, for example, that my football team will win tonight. I'm full of hope. Uh, But I think the thing that's really driving a lot of this for me is, you know, you talk about 30 years, wow. I don't think we've ever had a situation as we have right now, right very now, this dangerous in the world. We have these disruptive, maniacal, egomaniacal men in charge of countries where, you know, we've got Donald Trump, we've got Vladimir Putin, we've got... Erdogan. Yeah, we've got... Tatote. Netanyahu. These are guys who want to disrupt and their chauvinism is just terrifying. And on top of that, starting to press down now is an economic threat Mm. uh, where, you know, any politician, as ours all are at the moment, going around flaunting the idea that basically everything's going to be a bit of a version in 10 years' time of what it is now. Mm. Uh, It's insane. It's, you know, it's a lie. Mm. And... I, you know, really do worry about in all other times in history when you've had forces like this and yet not as crazy, terrible outcomes have happened. Mm. So, you know, if you asked me what might the world look like in 30 years' time, wow. I mean, who knows? So if we look at Jacinda Ardern, which is where we started a minute ago, what do you think are the differences between her Prime Ministership and Gillard's Prime Ministership. I'd just be interested in your reflections firstly on the differences and what created those differences. Was it personality and circumstance, a bit of both? Oh, it was a lot of both. Jacinda Ardern was not a Kingslayer and uh, 
Julie Gillard was never able to ever get over, get that. over it, what she did to Kevin Rudd. Mm. And it was a really stupid thing to do. That's why. People knew it and it's a real shame because we were never able to see what she may have done had she, you know, had the right opportunities. And equally as important, we were never able to see what Kevin Rudd could have done either. Mm. And instead, what we were given, and, you know, I will never defend Julia Gillard for this, Julia Gillard gave us this culture of slaying Mm. that we have had uh, for the past decade. She started it. Funnily enough, her and Bill Shorten, who looks likely in five minutes to be the next Prime Minister. I mean, go figure, right? Mm. Uh, On a ticket of unity. Yeah. But, you know, it was wrong. It was really, really stupid. In the same way Scott Morrison knocking off Malcolm Turnbull was really, really stupid. If Turnbull was still there, there would be a contest in this election, no doubt, quite a close one, I'd imagine. I mean, it still may well be that the electorate would look at the Turnbull government and formerly the Abbott government and say, well, you know, they haven't really done enough governing or this or whatever they may say, but it would have been close. Yeah. And when it's close, there's room for error and anything can happen. Just ask John Hewson. That culture is just really bad. It's destroyed our politics and Julia Gillard can't be let off the hook for her partner. Mm. It was an immeasurably stupid decision. Mm. To me, in a lot of ways, showed a lack of readiness for that role to even have thought that that was a good idea. Having said that, what she achieved in minority government was remarkable. Mm. Her ability to bring people together and get legislation through and... Hold it together. Hold it together was uh, really interesting. But I think... As with all relationships, often how you start is how you end. And you want to start in as good a place as you can, which Jacinda Ardern did. Your idea the other day in talking about and prep for this programme, you talked about an idea around little girls and clothes. Yes, my kids are going to start primary school next year and... The school uniforms, uh, you know, their boys wear shorts and a T-shirt and my daughter is expected to wear a little dress. And as somebody who has watched these children every single day of their lives, my daughter is quicker up a tree than my son. In fact, has better football skills too at this point in time. She's a very competitive little thing. The idea that she's going to be put into an item of clothing that uh, restricts that. It, it not only restricts it, what it represents in a schoolyard full of five-year-olds, this has been a very recent mm. thought to me, probably because of school starting. Mm. Now, you want little girls in a playground at school to go out and kick the footy with the boys. Well, Why are you putting them in a skirt or a dress? It doesn't make any sense, mm. even for it to be an option doesn't make any sense to me. I'm not against dresses. I'm not against fashion. I'm not particularly interested in it either. It's not that. It's just when I look at it in a sort of blunt light of my son and my daughter, it's absurd. You know, if we're serious in Australia, I think the girls' dresses in primary school 
really should go. Mm. I've noticed this too recently because my kids have gone to a new kinder. At their old one, there was a real imbalance. There were 24 boys and two girls. And my daughter always wore shorts and pants and I didn't really notice what the other girl wore. I just noticed that she was the only other girl. Mm. But now they're in an environment where already, I've, I've noticed they all wear these, you know, they're gorgeous little dresses. They look lovely. But they're not climbing. Mm. They're not... Well, rolling or tumbling no, or playing. No, they're just not doing it. Mm. They don't want to get their no, dresses dirty. They just don't want to get them dirty. No, I hadn't thought about it that way either. But it's It shocked on. me when I noticed it. It absolutely shocked me. Yeah. Mm. And I'm just praying my daughter doesn't notice that, you know, she's the only one in pants. And she's the one leading the climbing. So, Sal... One fun thing to finish on. Yeah. Okay, so, so much fun. <laughs> People underestimate how much fun. <laughs> so our little flying car segment. So we just call it flying car because when a lot of our generation was little, I'll get in I used one. to think I'll get there'll be a flying, flying car. With, yeah. <laughs> Is there a fun thing that you want for the future? Oh, fun thing for the future. Oh, my goodness. We were talking with Luke McGregor about, I was saying, I wouldn't mind being beamed mm. up. Mm. And he was saying, yeah, but what if you get reconstituted as a different person without a consciousness? Does it have to be sort of... <laughs> does it have to be modern? No. no. Oh, well, I'd like to be able to have a pony and keep it here in my inner city kitchen. <laughs> Just open the window there so people could pat it and give it apples during the day. And I'd love that. Wouldn't you love to have a pony? In the um, house? Yeah, that'd be my... That'd be my... I mean, you know, obviously I'd need more than my... You know they breed tiny yeah, horses now that are, like, this big? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people do I, live in houses I, with them. I, uh, no, that's that's just not right, is it? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we there's this property downturn at the moment and mm. there are empty development blocks everywhere, all over the inner city. Yeah, they're, gonna you know, they're not going to be built on for at least a few years. I think... My little fantasy would be um, turning them into little pony paddocks for Stables. the inner city children. <laughs> you know, they don't get fresh air. They don't know where food comes from. But, you know, give them a little pony to pat on the way to school. <laughs> That'd be charming. I mean, did anyone ever feel worse patting a pony in the morning? No, that's right. I don't think so. No. no. Mm. Thanks, Sal. Thank you. It's a pleasure. <laughs> Cheer up, everyone. Cheer up. <laughs> Smile. <laughs> Leanne, I think that's my favourite conversation. All the episodes are great, obviously. Mm. I love the way we went from little girls shouldn't wear skirts to wouldn't inner city ponies be good. (laughs) Well, I just liked it that even though we got a little bit depressed through that episode, we came out the other end laughing. You've been listening to the second series of WTF 2050, proudly brought to you by the Australia Institute, where ideas and research matters. Thanks to our studio engineer, Michael Shelley, at The Green Room, and a big shout-out to producer and music man, Fletcher Babb. Please check out our other episodes and join the conversation on our Facebook page or our website, wtf2050.net.au. Remember, you can listen to the first series and all of these episodes on iTunes and Spotify.